Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies used by the big guys to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Austin Hare, and our guest today is Jeremy Dixon. He's the founder and CEO of the DSO Project and also the founder and CEO of Dental Capital Partners. And he's one of seven key DSO influencers named by Group Dentistry Now, which is a huge accreditation, three-time Inc. 500, 5,000 entrepreneur, and he's currently co-founding a new business in the dental AI space. So without further ado, Jeremy, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Austin. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So... Cool. You've been in, in dental, I mean, pretty much your entire career, <laughs> which is awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, how, how did that come about? Like what, what made you decide to go down this path? Yeah. So actually uh, I've been a very healthy adult in general, but as a child, I had a couple of injuries, a couple of key things that happened to me that put me in the hospital for weeks um, wow. combined about a month as a child. Uh, so the first thing was in second grade, I had a, an appendix rupture and I was in the hospital for two weeks. That's, that can be life-threatening. Obviously I made it. Um, and, and, uh, and then when I was in, uh, seventh grade, I had a ruptured, uh, bladder actually. So I was in the hospital for a couple of weeks with that. And I was just struck by the, you know, the, the healthcare, the doctors, the nurses in, in med- medicine in general and healthcare um, who, who just cared so much and helped, helped me through and helped me heal up and become a healthy teenager and, uh, an adult. And so when I entered college, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to go into the medical field and initially it was, I wanted to be a surgeon and go into medicine. And then I started talking to a few, uh, folks, doctors who were practicing, this is the mid nineties and HMOs were becoming, you know, uh, becoming almost universal and changing the face of medicine. And they, I had three different doctors say, Hey, you might want to talk, you might want to look at dentistry because medicine's changing. And so that was actually what put me on the, the course of um, applying to dental school and, and going down the path that I did. Wow. And, and so um, what time frame in your life was this happening? This is when you were in college or, or high school or what? Yeah. Yeah. So this was in college. So I, so I graduated from high school and I went from about, you know, seventh grade on, I wanted to go into medicine. And so in college, so I was on that path the whole way. So through high school, uh, through college until my third year college, so until my junior year of college. And then, um, I was in a pre-medical honor society and we would have doctors come in. And so I asked several of those doctors, I, I would just, Hey, what would you do if you were me? That's that sort of question. And, I heard the message loud and clear. It was pretty obvious that they were worried about the changes and, you know, they'd say, I have a dentist friend. He's, he's got a great life. He's, he seems to love what he does. <laughs> and so piqued my interest. I started looking there. I said, this is it. Um, I love, I love the people aspect of it that I can get to know families and help people, you know, treat people medically, but also, um, you know, see, see families generally generationally. That was initially what, one of the reasons why cool. I really loved it. Yeah. That's cool. So, That's so these the doctors, there were the doctors that were telling you look at dental. You think it's because there was like less of a, a workload than a traditional doctor, and they saw they had a little bit more freedom. You think that played into it? Absolutely. I mean, at the time, I remember looking it up, and and the average dentist worked almost twenty hours less per week. Wow. But made within a few thousand 
of the of the typical family practice or, or general you know internist doctor so once i saw that metric it was uh, it was pretty easy because family was always important to me and, and still is and uh so that was certainly it was it was that was one of the metrics but i went and shadowed my my dentist that i had growing up and and just kind of fell in love with the with with the whole you know owning your own business and and being able to practice um you know, medicine in, in, in a dental context and yeah, let's, just kind let's of fell in love with it and, and went that direction. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it, when you go to dental school, it's very much clinically oriented, right? Like there's not really a whole lot of like business management or, or HR togs or, you know, strategic. that's an understatement. Yes. <laughs> there's not much. <laughs> so what was it like then going from, you know, at, going to the dental school and then coming out and then working for a guy, like how did you, uh, essentially learn business techniques? Yeah, so so I I'll, I'll be honest, I uh, I didn't grow up. Some people grow up just you know having a lemonade stand and a paper route, and you know having little businesses all along the way. I really caught the entre entrepreneurial bug right after dental school. So you know up until then, I was a biology major uh, in college, and then I went to dental school and very li limited business exposure. Uh, my dad had worked in corporate America for his whole, most of his whole career and then switched to owning his own business around the time I finished college. So that was in, wow. kind of piqued my interest. And then, uh, and then it was just, um, I, I, I think I, I just was looking around the environment as a new dentist coming out, looking at kind of reading the tea leaves, looking at, you know, having a vision around the corner of what's next and realized that, uh, that group practice was the future. And this was back in 2004, 2005. And, and I, it, that, and then I just started reading dental economics, just the basic, you know, dental economics. Then I started reading Harvard business review. Then I started reading business books voraciously. So back behind me, I mean, I, from like 2005 until 2009, I think I read like 120, 130 business wow. books during that time. So I just, I just caught the bug, but it was after you know, my formal education primarily. And then I ended up going, starting MBA school uh, in 09. So then I went to get the formal business degree, you know, master's degree in business with a healthcare management focus um, and started that in 2009. So it, it was really this, this awakening, I suppose, of this entrepreneurial creative part of me that all of the science education had sort of beaten out of me, you know, for a few years. And it was, it was, it was amazing. And it's still continuing. That's what's really fun. Yeah. At 43 years old. So <laughs> that's cool. Cause I think a lot of times, you know, we talk about the strategies, uh, which are very important, but um, it's like, you got to get yourself to a place mentally to execute on the strategies, you know? And so um, it's not like some people are born with it and they're very lucky and some people aren't, they have to work on it, but I think everybody can attain it, you know, if they're conscientious and if they focus on it and they're intentional about it. And so um, I agree. Does the, uh, do you think reading those books, how much of it was just like helping you get the right mindset and helping get you motivated versus like actual tactical strategy, you know, in the weeds type strategies? Yeah. I mean, I would say it started with a mindset shift first. Mm -hmm. So there was like a phasing. So I came out of dental school and really I saw what Heartland Dental Care was doing. So Rick Workman's a huge like hero of mine and, and really, you know, what they were doing there hiring, I, I would say about 40% of my class, it was somewhere around that in 2004, they hired. Um, I went to Southern Illinois University, closest dental school to Heartland, and 
And I wasn't really interested in that model necessarily. But then when I came back to the Northwest and I looked around, I just saw opportunity that I had never thought of or seen before. And so it really, there were a few books that shifted my mindset that I would Mm -hmm. say was kind of phase one. Number one was um, a book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. It's a classic business book. And yeah, it's, it's, it's really simple. It's not long. And it talks about a lady who, who like makes the best pies in the world and she wants to start a pie shop. So she op- opens the pie shop and she's very successful, but she's like wearing all these hats and it kind of getting burnt out and losing that passion that she had. And so it's sort of her conversation with a, a business co- coach or consultant that about, you know, how to think about her business differently. And it totally changed. It was, you know, it was a pie shop, but it changed the way I thought about dentistry completely and and my role in it and if you know owning a, a group dental practice you know kind of the steps to take and the just having the vision of what that could look like because I was buried for years you know the first few years buried under just trying to wear all the hats and do everything and running around putting out fires and it helped me shift that mindset and then a couple other books that were just mindset shifting for me were uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad um, mm. by Kiyosaki Robert Kiyosaki, and it's a real estate book. You obviously you know that book, and you may uh, uh, have yeah. an opinion, and you may not like it. But for me, I like, or it, you actually. may love it. But for me, it it just some of the basic um, mindset th- uh, shifts of, you know, I don't need to be paid by the hour. I can I can you know I can put in work and do it and not be compensated now for something and, and, and kind of delaying gratification for the mm-hmm. future. And so that, that really, you know, I think that shifted my mindset in, yeah, I'm doing all this work now, but I'm building something that, you know, potentially could be compensated for in the future. And then um, four hour work week by Tim Ferriss. I mean, there's some weird stuff in there, but there's amazing stuff in there that really, you know, changed my mindset. And really now the way that I, I live, um, I've taken a lot of concepts from that and I have a great work-life balance and I, you know, I work really hard and I get a lot done, but I also have, I also play and I also have a great family life and enjoy my life as well. So, um, you know, there are just some, some mindset shifting things in there. Um, and then the, you know, the, then, the, then it kind of went to, from more to ta- to tactical, I would say okay. in general. And I started re- uh, reading, you know, books like good to great by Jim Collins, um, and uh, a, a book that I ran across probably 12, 13 years ago called The Power of Full Engagement. It's not mm-hmm. as popular. Um, it's by Jim Lohr and Terry uh, or, or Tony Schwartz. And it was at a time when I was the managing partner of a budding, my budding dental group. And I was just burnt out probably a little bit. I was, I was tired. I was trying to do all these things and my health wasn't great. I wasn't able to, um, I wasn't, you know, exercising like I had always exercised, things like that. And that book taught me to manage my energy and not just my time. And so, you know, that was, that was a very important book. And there's other books like, um, you know, that, that I have loved, um, Success Principles by Jack Canfield is one that just is anybody that wants to be a successful person, I think should read that. It just gives you a ton of great information there. And then, um, and then there's a book that I recently came across uh, and I've always loved Derek Sivers. 
he started, he did some Ted talks and he was an entrepreneur 12 years ago, uh, 10 years ago. And then he recently wrote, wrote a book, I think last year called hell yeah or no. <laughs> and I am a huge opponent. Oh, it's it. And it's, it's just, he's distilled down these simple thoughts that are completely, he calls it the counter melody to conventional wisdom. So like he, they are whatever you think the world and the culture and business world is telling you, he's going to give you the opposite view of that. And it's going to make sense. And it, it just bends your mind and it, and it helps you think differently. And I love books that help me think outside the box that are not just conventional wisdom. So everything I try to do is hmm. like against conventional wisdom as much as I can. That's it. So. Yeah, that inspired me. I, I wrote it down. I'm going to, is that book on audible? Do you know, I, I do most of my reading on audible. Yeah, I think, you know, I think he, uh, he's published several books, but I actually just went to his website and bought it and it comes with an audiobook and a paperback. Hmm. So I, I'm not sure you can check audible, but if you just go to sivers.org, it's there too. Okay. Yeah. It's a cool, I, I'm not familiar with those last two, but I'm very familiar with the E-Myth, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and the four hour work week. And those like, same for me were like very influential um, in my, and I was probably between like 19 and, and 21, like going through and reading those things and like opening up my, cause at that, at that age too, like you just think you're invincible. Like you can just take on the whole oh, world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, but, yeah. Well, and you, you can do it like, but you can do it too much, right? Too much to the extreme. And I remember like walking away, especially Rich Dad, Poor Dad and the four hour work week like the combination of all those three made it seem like, oh, well, all I have to do is have an idea, spend four hours a week setting it up and, um, you know, hire people that are smarter than me, do it, and then walk away and collect checks every single day. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, so much yeah. three of all those. and then you realize like, wait a minute, like, that's not actually true. So like, there's good and bad within those, right? Like if you really followed hundred percent of every single thing that they said, like you actually wouldn't be anywhere near as successful as they claim. You like, for instance, Tim Ferriss is a workaholic. I mean, he's never worked four hours yeah. a week in his entire life. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and, and if you did all of the things that he says that you should do, you there's more, it would take more than 24 hours in a day. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the four it's, it's to me, it's, it's any book you're, if you take out a few, few key principles that help you, you can incorporate it into your life. So yes, that's a good disclaimer uh, and, and, and a worthy disclaimer on a couple of those books, especially the four hour work week that, like I've never worked for four hour. Well, I probably have worked some four hour work weeks, but not when I was building every, you know, initially yeah. building everything. After so like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't now. And I, you know, I, I can not work or work and, and, and I, um, and I choose to work more than that just because um, I love it. I, I love the things I'm doing when you're loving, when you have a passion for what you're doing, when you're working with great people, you know, that's a key part of it. People can drain your energy or they can give you energy. Um, and, and you're, you're kind of build, I like to build great things with cool people and that's it. I mean, that's kind of my mantra, build cool things with great people. And if it doesn't fit that, I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think you said earlier, one of the things about Rich Dad Poor Dad is like, don't trade your time for money, right? Like don't have uh-huh. a certain idea, like an hourly rate in your, in your head. Like you got to have long-term gratification. And I remember, I still think about it a lot. It's like his parent, his poor dad would spend, you know, an hour or his mom driving across town to say $4 on pork butt <laughs> when like <laughs> when they wouldn't go yeah. and like, when the house's marking went on sale, like, you know, the houses went for sale. Nope. They wouldn't, they didn't bother. Right. And it's like, and I think about that a lot. It's like, why am I, you know, I'm spending time, like 
the Starbucks gives notification, like, you know, a dollar off drinks and I get all excited about it. It's like, who, like, who cares? Right. Like, um, that's you, you spend your time, like chasing those coupons, like you're, you're never going to really build well. So that was really helpful. And then of course, the four hour work week, like you don't ever work four hours, but it changed my mindset on how I think about productivity. Like, you know, I remember one of his quotes is like, running around shoveling papers all day isn't going to get you first class to Brazil. <laughs> and it's just, <laughs> and it's just like, what, what are you doing with your time? Like, are you intentional with your time? Are you structuring it well? Are you actually being productive? Because a lot of times we just like to look productive, especially if you're in kind of like a nine to five or something where you're drawing a salary or an hourly rate, uh, you're not measured, you're not rewarded as much on production. Like you can just try and look really busy, right? But you're not really going to move the needle forward in your life. And so that was, those two things were like the big, even though there was some, I don't want to say bad advice, but just like, you know, you could, you could take it the wrong way. There was, those are the two like really good takeaways. And so I love that we, we have that in common. And it sounds like this obviously may pay dividends in your life. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it yeah, books have, have always, um, I have used them to change my mindset and open my mind. And then you have to think you have to, you have to take some things in and incorporate it into how you think and how you work. And, and some of the things don't work and you got to throw those out and you have to be smart enough to know the difference between the two. And if something's not working, right, then, then, then get rid of it. If you think it's going to work and it doesn't work, get rid of it. And it kind of, this, this whole concept makes me think of something that, that I've, I started doing back probably 15 years ago. Um, have you heard of the book flow? Mm-mm, I know I haven't flow. Have you heard of the concept of flow? Like if in life, like if you're doing getting something state and, or getting in flow, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you kind of lose track of time. You're just really focused. Yeah. And so that's that's kind of a concept that goes along with all of this that that you know I look at like when am I when am I in flow? When am I just totally focused, totally into it, firing on all cylinders, and um and 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 when I'm you know and when I'm in flow, um recognizing it. And then stepping back periodically and, and looking at what I'm doing and how I'm spending my time and how I'm prioritizing and saying, um, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to readjust my time, my schedule so that I'm doing more of the things that I'm in flow and less of the things I'm not. And, and I think, you know, the reality is if you're doing something you love and you're passionate about and you're skilled at, you're going to be better than the, than whoever's, you know, whoever else is doing it that does that's not in that state you're going to be more productive you're going to you know work longer because you enjoy it there's i think there's real inherent advantages of having that mindset as well so just a couple of thoughts that you know have been that. really influential for me yeah no i love that so all right and then um you know you're kind of you we said you went back to school you got your mbh and you're you're also sounds like you're reading these books at the time so what evolved out of that um, well, I mean, so when I did my, you know, MBA, uh, it was, uh, a very interesting time in my life because I, uh, was, uh, in the midst of, of buying out my two partners from mm-hmm. my original group. And this was, so I started in 09, I bought them out in 2010. Um, and then, so for, for, it was a three-year program that I did usually an MBA is two years, but because I was working full-time, I had to stretch out. <laughs> yeah. So for, for several years while I was doing my MBA, I was running, I, I was sole, the sole, the sole owner and president of the, of the DSO. And I could literally go to class, 
you know, on the weekend, we did stuff during the weekend, the weekends, but I'd go to class on the weekends and I would go to work Monday and I would implement those strategies immediately. And I would learn from them and I would, I would test them. And I would, it was, it was real world practical experience where most of the time when you go to business school, it's still hypothetical. You might do projects, you might, you know, have theoretical situations, but you're not actually going and implementing things right that right then. So, you know, that was a huge, I think, benefit to the business. It was a benefit to me. I learned a ton, um, not just getting the credential or getting the degree. And then I think the other thing it did, it just going to business school changes the way you think in a, in a really positive way that I didn't have before. It just, it just makes you think about, um, you know, see things through a business lens and, and what's important. And it's not just money. I mean, I think, I think culture, you know, the people piece of dentistry and the people piece of any businesses that has people in it is probably the most important Get, getting the right people on the bus and the right seats and all that. Um, and creating a culture that people want to be a part of so you can recruit and retain folks. And, um, you know, then, then the other thing, the other benefit of that education, I think, was when it, you know, doing what I do now where I'm working with private equity, family offices, um, doing the merger and acquisition work that I do, due diligence work, um, working with investment bankers, working with, you know, mezzanine finance or senior lenders who are, who are, um, who are financing, you know, large dental groups. I can kind of speak the language, you know. I went to business school. They went to business school. It's kind of like dentistry. There's a dental jargon you learn. Like yeah. you say words nobody else knows because you make up your own language because you want to sound smart. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so there's a little bit of that in the business world. And when you go and you do an MBA, you go to business school. So um, so that you know, there, I think that that certainly pays dividends because I know how to speak the language. And and um, you know, I think it's helped fuel um, success in terms of financing. Um, and certainly in doing the work with investors that I do. Yeah, that's great. Okay. So, um, you bought out essentially you had, you said you had two partners and were you guys at a single location or how many locations was this? Yeah. So yeah, just kind of, yeah, back up and, and, and kind of how, how I got to where I am. Um, yeah. So I started as, I've kind of worn all the hats and I've been in the group practice my whole life. So I've been an employee dentist. I've been a partner, been a managing partner. Uh, solo group owner, uh, sold to private equity, private equity backed, uh, DSO CEO and board member, been a board member several times for DSOs. Um, and, and, and so I've kind of worn all these hats and, and in wearing, and wearing those hats, it has, um, it, it has created a situation where, um, you know, I, I, I'm able to, to, to speak the language better and, and understand you know, where people are coming from and, and really, especially when there's issues or when there's, um, you know, like when my coaching of CEOs, they, when they have a, an issue that's really vexing them, I'm able to, I've probably seen it before because I've worn all those different hats and know, you know, know, uh, know what to do. So. Mm, I love that. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. So, and, um, sounds like that set you up really well for obviously the, the rest of your career. So what's, um, yeah. what is it like that's been taking up most of your time recently? Yeah. So, I mean, recently, um, obviously I have BSL project that's been, you know, we've, we've been doing some fun work there over the last couple of years, coaching, um, high potential entrepreneurs who are, who own DSOs and, and also, um, we've been, we've been, uh, working to kind of implement a new strategy 
um, of how to build a DSO and try to allow the doctors to create uh, to to be able to to gain more of the the upside or the and the and the wealth creation opportunity um, rather than just like one person who owns the DSO. So that's been fun. Um, obviously, M and A work has been fun working with you know private equity uh, funds and uh, so buyers and sellers and matching them up and that's that that's been something that um, has has been super fun. But recently this year. Uh, I'm in the in the process. Well, the business has already been founded, so co-founded um, a, a business that is is going to transform the dental um, transaction space, leveraging um, the artificial intelligence that uh, nice. has been, you know, is been is and has been created, uh, and and it's um, it's launching. You know, we're probably six to eight weeks away on that, wow. so more to come on that. But it's. Uh, <laughs> It's it's going to allow uh, folks to have a much broader and deeper view of what they're purchasing in a dental transaction, whether it's a single practice or a group practice, and it's going to um, to, to 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 also have a component that's forward looking um, to know mm. what's inherently embedded in the charts in terms of treatment, as well as um, I think the first real objective uh, doctor quality assessments uh, as well. So there's a lot of uh, pieces of it that I'm super excited. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll come back on it in a, in a while and uh, we, okay. can, we can go deep on that. Cause that's some fun stuff that, yeah. I, and I love talking about that, that kind of stuff too. I mean, artificial intelligence obviously has already changed the world to a lot and yeah. it's going to continue to change the world. And yeah. um, you know, it can be good or bad, right? A lot of people get scared when they think about it, but um, it's just a technology, you know, a technology is not inherently good or bad. It's what you, what you do with it, but that is really cool. So, uh, you know, you said um, it would be able to help calculate kind of like a forward looking uh, perception or forward looking lens. So um, is that one thing, is that one of the main things? Like, cause it, I, the risk is when you go and you buy a business, it's like, okay, great. Like we see your last 12 months of EBITDA. We, we see your combined three-year average of EBITDA profits, whatever you want to call it but there's no guarantee that that's going to work moving forward, right? Like you're always taking a risk. So is the part of the idea that it's going to help mitigate that risk because it can give you a more accurate picture of what it's going to continue to do? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, and this is something that I ran into acquiring the practices that I did on my first DSO personally. And, and um, it, it, the thing that frustrated me most is that most of the time, you know, the, the rule of thumb is, somewhere between 70 and 85% of one year's revenue is sort of what a single dental practice goes for. Yeah. And that's been the conventional wisdom. And, and there are appraisers out there, but it, for some reason, it always seems to come into that range. So it, it, it's, it's interesting how that happens. And I always thought, well, that doesn't tell me anything. I want profitability. I want right. to know what, what sort of profitability is embedded in this business. And so I always valued every business I purchased on a multiple of EBITDA and understanding the EBITDA, which is how investors do it. And yeah. most people back when I was doing it 10 years ago, didn't, didn't do it that way. And um, so therefore I wanted, yeah, I wanted larger, larger practices. And yeah, so the, the, the huge benefit of, of, of this product is that um, in a transaction, Instead of like investors now, they will do 30, 50 charts, uh, audit 30, 50 charts for, you know, make sure the compliance is appropriate, legally it's appropriate, and, you know, basically that they're not doing anything wrong. And 
what this is going to do is allow buyers, whether investors or single practice, you know, purchasers, single practice, solo doc, solo doc, uh, it will allow them to actually get a 360 degree view instead of a, a handful of charts that are super expensive for a large law firm to audit. Um, and so you get, so if there's 18, so I have a friend, he had, I think 18 or 20,000 charts in his group wow. and they, I think they, they audited, they audited 50 of the charts. So how, like, that's just a, a small sliver of right. what's actually happening. You don't know what you're getting. It's a, it's a checkbox. Yeah. It's a checkbox. It's a checkbox for, you know, their, their, their list that they'll go to their investment committee and say, we did the, the compliance work. Well, this will will give you a 360 degree view of every single chart, what's in that chart, and what's what's undiagnosed in the treatment that's detected by the AI. I mean, there's so many pieces of it, but it, it will ultimately allow you, like you said, to be able to have a greater transparency as to what's really uh, in this practice in a practice and what the investor or, or single doctor is buying, and that is, I think essentially insurance and it's going to lower the the greatly lower the risk of failure or you know buying buying a, a practice or or even a dental group and getting something different than what you thought um, it's so transparent so i i think uh it's going to you know really change the way things these transactions are done mm, that's really cool um and obviously, you know, you can't talk a whole lot about it, but I think I think this is the future for sure. So yeah. it, what's the difference? I know you're founder and CEO of both the DSO project and Vintel Capital Partners. Can you explain the difference between those two? Sure. Yeah. You know, DSO project was uh, was started really out of um, because I was being asked by a lot of folks in the in the space to help help them. How did you do what you did? I was on the this, I would say the first wave early wave of what we're experiencing now in terms of, uh, you know, emerging medium-sized groups uh, being backed by private equity back in 2013 when I, when I sold my business. And, and um, that is uh, that, sorry, I totally forgot the question. Can you repeat it again? Well, yeah. I, I just the difference it. between the difference between the DSO project <laughs> and the dental capital partners. That's right. Yeah. So, so, you know, during that period of time, um, I was getting asked after that transaction happened, I was getting asked by a lot of folks, uh, you know, how do you do it? Can you help me? You know, and people calling me and they say the best business is the one that, that the market is clamoring for. And so I did a sabbatical um, in 2016 and early 2017, uh, where we, I traveled with my family. We, we basically left life. We wow. grabbed carry on backpacks, homeschooled our wow. kids and you went to 35 <laughs> countries and six continents and, and didn't step foot in the U S for a year. That's and crazy. So I stepped away from everything and I, um, toward the end of that, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I got back. I wasn't sure if I was going to be in dentistry or I would just try to, you know, I found out really quickly. I wasn't PGA tour material, uh, <laughs> <laughs> with my baseball swing. So, uh, I, 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 toward the end of that in early 2017, I, I said, well, I'm getting asked by all these folks to help them or just to give them advice as they're trying to build a group, a dental group that's sustainable and investable. Why don't I start a business? So I started, uh, you know, it's uh, essentially, I call it a, a DSO accelerator. So okay. it's sort of patterned after Silicon Valley's Y Combinator, um, where, you know, oh, nice. the initial, the initial idea was to, it's, it's morphed, but the initial idea was to have 
um, essentially a founder's tribe, a bunch of high potential dental entrepreneurs and, um, you know, like three to five folks and um, each year kind of bring them in and mentor them both from my perspective and a peer relationship and essentially coach them up on how to build a sustainable, investable DSO. And so um, I did that for a few years and then have kind of, because I've started these other businesses have, have gone to more of a um, model where it's, you know, shorter term consulting, not as long-term, but the same, you know, same idea. We help you, we go in, we, we do um, a day, you know, to, to figure out what your goals are, what your vision is, what you, how you differentiate and build a business plan and then work with you to, to build to execute that plan until you have a sustainable investable DSO for as long as you you'd like. So, so that's, that's a DSO project. And then, um, and then we've recently kind of, we also have a piece of DSO project where we are um, bringing, like, like I mentioned before, bringing Dennis together into um, a, a group and forming a group with management team and systems and allowing the doctors to obtain the vast majority of the wealth creation, which has not traditionally happened in DSOs. Um, so that's that's been fun. And then uh, Dental Capital Partners is my M&A advisory, I'm not an investment banker, um, and I'm not a, a dental broker. I'm sort of a, a, a hybrid of, of that in a way um, where I, from my experience in my private equity transaction in 2013, there were obviously whenever you do something big like that, we all look back and say, okay, what would I do differently? How could I get a better result? And um, for me, the, the, the aspect of fit was not at the forefront of how I was thinking about that transaction. Um, and I feel like it should have been. I think fit is the, mo is the primary uh, important factor in a, in a private equity transaction because you're partners for years building, you know, building your group. And, um, and so there was just things like there were, you know, as I look back, red flags, um, that I should have noted, um, and just, you know, personality fit, things like that, uh, making sure that our exit strategy was the same and our, how the, how the kind of what, why, and how were the same. And, um, and so I started dental capital partners to help folks in the space, um, help sellers find partners based on fit and based on, um, and obviously price is important, valuation is important, but I essentially match make, I, I get to know the private equity folks and I get to know the sellers and I make strategic introductions based on on fit and, and how I think it'll match based on the experiences that I have in the space. Okay. And I know yeah. one of your strengths is innovative creativity. So, you know, how do you yeah. be able to leverage that in, in terms of these two organizations? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think like that's kind of one of my unique abilities and maybe my most important unique ability is that I always, I kind of trying conventional wisdom and, and, and I, you know, have this creativity of always wanting to innovate. And part of that is born from, um, there's an article in Harvard business review and a book called blue ocean strategy. Have you heard of that? Yep. Yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the businesses I do are all blue ocean strategy focused, which means you're, you know, you basically don't have competition. There's nobody doing what you do. Um, there's a, a high amount of um, upside and minimal downside. There's, there's, there's other elements of it, 
But essentially, I like to ha- start businesses that don't have any competition. And both that when I started uh, DSO Project, when I started General Capital Partners, there's no direct competition. Certainly indirect competition. There's always, there's always consultants out there and there's always investment bankers and dental brokers out there. But nobody doing it the way that I was doing it and really felt like ma- you know, making the competition largely irrelevant in both of those businesses. And, um, you know, and, and part of the, I think the secret sauce of, of what I do is in those businesses is that I've actually, I'm a dentist. So that's one dentist, like, you know, trust and listen to dentists. I think generally more than business people. And, um, but I happen to be a dentist who's a business person and I've done all of it. I've worn all those hats and I've been through transactions and, you know, I've built a sustainable DSO and I've, and so, you know, I think that um, makes it really unique. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think that just the fact that nobody had ever created a DSO accelerator when I created it. And since there's been several that have popped up and a mm. couple with dentists who have done it. So, uh, you know, I feel like it's almost like I kind of created a new, a new little niche in the space, which is, <laughs> which kind of makes me feel good. Yeah. Um, but that's know, like the and, definition and, of entrepreneur, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. And then in, in dental capital sometimes. partners, yeah. Dental capital partners, you know, it, again, you're there's most of the time it was, well, I can have a dental broker sell my practice or I can go to investment banker. I can try to do it myself and created a new niche where you have an advisor that can help that's, that's worn all those hats. That's been sat in the CEO seat. Like you did. That's a dentist that can help you navigate those, those waters and transactions are, they're tough. They take time and they're often not what people think in the end. And so my goal is to kind of smooth that out and have it be more predictable and make better matches. So I think that's how it's, you know, that kind of creativity and innovation has, has, um, has been manifested in those businesses. Mm. So like, um, what's the kind of perfect avatar for, for you? Like, was there a certain size that is like a sweet spot for you to work with? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, usually in DSO project, we like, uh, clients and, 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 and like to work with entrepreneurs who have, who have been at it for a few years. So, not necessarily a single work practice or two location or even three location dentist that, uh, or, or, you know, business person who, who is trying to build a DSO. Cause there's some things like you need to know how to run a really good single dental practice before you branch out. And so that, so what we found is if we, we took on folks who had just a couple of locations, they, they really hadn't even figured out how to build one good, really good, amazing practice. And you need that. So it's, I would say the sweet spot for us is kind of like four to five locations on the low end to, you know, 20 locations, you know, we, we've worked with folks larger and smaller, but that's, that's sort of the sweet spot for those reasons. About, you said about 20 locations. Yeah. Yeah. Four, four to five on the low end, 15 to 20 on the high end to to begin because then we help them scale up from there. And so, you know, but what we found is by the time you get to, if you're at 30, 40, 50 locations, you probably have a lot of those characteristics figured out because it's so hard to get past that kind of four to five to seven to eight is we call it, I call it the dark tunnel. Or, <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that. You no, know, the, the, the uh, yeah, it's just, it's it, it, that, that's the the part where a lot of people don't get through and we are really good at helping people okay. power through that. I have a client that started right out of school and only person I've ever worked with right out of school, but he had been a real estate entrepreneur before and actually owned six or seven properties, had owned a dental practice, owned the building, helped manage mm-hmm. it, 
even before he got out and he's acquired 11, I think it's 11 locations in just over two years Wow! with, and so we powered right through that dark tunnel and, um, you know, has another two closing at the end of the month. So we're, I mean, we're, we're, we're on, uh, we're on uh, rocket fuel on that one. Wow, that's it's, great. It's been super fun. What's the real estate strategy that you guys are using? Cause there's s- several different facets, right? Like, first of all, you always got a question, ask the question, should I buy or, or rent? Which with DSO is usually probably makes more sense to rent. And then second of all, it's also like site selection, right? And then, um, and then, you know, are you, but if you are doing acquisition, then that's going to be not as much of a factor. So what are some of the things that are coming up in terms of that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I built my original DSO almost exclusively through an acquisitive manner. So we were acquiring practices, but not the buildings. Um, and, and I actually love the real estate uh, investment aspect of it. But for me at the time, I was putting everything in the DSO. Like you said, yeah. sometimes it makes, it, it takes, it's, it's a little more capital intensive on the real estate side. So, um, so, so, but I do have clients who have essentially created a separate real estate company and are purchasing all or as many practices as they can. And, and, you know, essentially looking at, you know, eventually maybe selling to a REIT or selling to, um, you know, another real estate type company. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think that on the long term, if there are strategies that you, you, and you have the cash to do it, or you have the resources through, you know, a partnership, um, you know, to be able to, uh, to, to, to get into real estate, the long-term, uh, kind of return on investment is it, it can be higher than on the DSO if you do it right, as you know. So, so I think, you know, I mean, my personal experience has been n- not focused on, on that, but Hey, if you want to talk about leases, Austin, I'm all over that. I've done a million of those. So, <laughs> but that's, that's how, you know, I mean, I've worked with folks who are really savvy on the real estate side. Um, and I think if, you know, they're the, 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 the wealth potential, the wealth creation potential and working with an expert that knows what they're doing to help you navigate that and create the right strategy is, is I've seen some great success with it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, there's um, like you said, you can do it. it generally, for for most people, investing in their business is going to give them a lot better returns than investing in their real estate. Um, but like you mm-hmm. said, if you do it correctly, yeah, you can generate a lot of wealth on the real estate side, um, which is what yeah. we focus on too. Yeah, and I've known and I've known folks who actually do better on the real estate side, because <laughs> um, you because I that was my that was kind of the conventional wisdom when I was doing it too, and so I focused more on the DSO side initially, but. I've seen a couple of folks that I don't want to don't want to out them necessarily yeah. publicly because I'm not sure if they want to be, but but that have actually you know built a, a great DSO. But the real estate side, especially over the long term, can be really um, really you know substantial. And I mean, look at the largest DSO at Heartland Dental Care. I mean, you know, uh, they own the you know, and I I don't know the exact mechanics of it, but I I know you know Rick. Workman has been very involved in that real estate side and owns a lot of the Heartland real estate and and um, has created a lot of wealth through that. So mm-hmm. you know, there's there's so many ways to skin the cat, and it's just a matter of work of understanding the landscape and working finding the right experts to to really na- help you navigate that. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, it. it definitely like uh, it definitely helps having having the right people on on board, right? Because um, 
we all think we can do it ourselves, but there's just so many mistakes that you make um, learning, right? Yeah. And so if you can avoid those mistakes, that's what helps. And so, yeah, we always say find an expert, you know, find somebody who's done a lot of deals in your industry. Now, like it doesn't have to be us, right? I mean, we'd love to, to work with DSOs in that regard, but just somebody who's done like at least 10 deals, you know, whether that's on the brokerage side or the development side or the acquisition of the building side, um, find someone who actually, you know, who knows the industry. You don't want to, you don't want to give a charity case, right? Like for to help your friend or your golfing buddy or your cousin or whatever <laughs> when, they're, when there's yeah. this much well, at stake. And they don't teach, like, as, we, as we established earlier, they don't teach you that in dental school at all. Like that, they try to teach you some other components, but not, not really much on the real estate. If, I don't think anything in, on the real estate side, at least in my education. Um, and and it, is, it is an education. You know, you need to work with somebody who knows what they're doing. Hmm. And, and so um, are the DSOs, are they primarily acquisition-based or do you have anybody doing a novo, de novos or what's the ratio there? Yeah, I would say most of my clients um, are acquisition focused just and part of that may just be selected selective toward that because that's my expertise right mm -hmm. so i have done de novos and i have worked with clients that do some de novos but it's always been more of a minority um, component of their overall growth strategy um in location so yeah mostly acquisition and i think i think it's just self-selected because that's really my expertise yeah and i think it makes sense like i mean you you know like you said you want them to start with their own location figure that out uh -huh. and then it's like you start acquiring practices and for some people they're acquiring distress practices and then at some point it kind of um evolves into all right well i don't want to buy the distressed ones we got some backing now why don't we just buy a little bit more for ones that are actually working and then at that, yes. and then at some point it gets to like, okay, like I've I kind of hit everybody in my niche. If I'm going to keep growing, I got to start doing de novo, right? And so there's like kind of like a path that we see um, similar, yeah. not not all the time, but you know, oftentimes right. you see it kind of go down that that path. Yeah, if you're getting the demographics right and you're working with the right folks that know how to do that, then then I think um, often it's you know it's it's sort of opportunistic where we have this great opportunity to fill in our hub and spoke model and so a de novo makes sense in that area and um so yeah it's uh i i, I see a lot that. and that's generally what i see is sort of that that approach and and i'm i'll say one thing that just that just popped in my mind um that's probably going to blow a lot of your listeners minds but when i was so this was you know i would say early last decade was kind of my sweet spot after I bought my partners out where, you know, I built it for several years, brought in PE. And then a couple of years after that. And so no one at that time in the Pacific Northwest where I was focused, Oregon, Washington, Alaska, um, was wanted to touch million dollar plus practices was, I mean, now that's all people want. Right. Yeah. But then like, so it was like shooting fish in a barrel because and my close rate was super high because there was no competition. <laughs> the, the general industry hadn't caught up to the fact that the cash flow inherent in those large, you know, practices. I, I bought practices up to you know over four million dollars um, in revenue, annual revenue, um, but always over a million. And you know, there wasn't any any competition now. It's totally flipped. Everybody wants those prices for those practices are going up. So just it just made me think of um, funny. <laughs> of that of that because I think it was, the people who have been in it just in the last five six years I don't think would realize that it used to be the practices everyone wants right now 
were the ones nobody wanted, you know, <laughs> seven, eight years ago, 10 years ago. Oh man. Yeah. Hindsight is always 2020, <laughs> right? If only, only you know. but it sounds like you were ahead of the curve on that. So congratulations on Luckily, that. Luckily, yes. <laughs> well, this is great. Luckily, um, yeah. So, you know, for everybody listening, they want to get in touch or reach out to your organizations or you, what, what's the best way to do so? Yeah. I mean, uh, probably that the best way is just Dr. Dixon at dsoproject.com. Um, and my, my name, my last name has an S in it. So it's D-R-D-I-X-S-O-N at dsoproject.com. And um, I also have Dr. Dixon at dentalcapitalpartners.com if that, if, you know, if, if that's kind of what you're looking for. But those are the emails, probably the, the best way initially. Um, and I also am on LinkedIn quite a bit, quite a bit. So please, uh, you know, please uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you can read more about me there. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty active there and, and, you know, talk with folks and have made a lot of connections and have, you know, have helped people out through that as well. So LinkedIn's another, another good spot for me. Awesome. Well, I got those in the show notes and, uh, we look forward to connecting again here. All right, Austin. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. Yeah. Thank you. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice, or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.